Happy Wednesday, everybody. Good oh. evening. <laughs> How is everybody? Uh, we're fine. Yes. I don't know about Steve. Steve. <laughs> Give me okay a warning, will you? Yeah. <laughs> Alexa, well, play me some rock and roll. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh -huh. Didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, so Steve was setting off all of our Alexas. Oh gosh, start it. <laughs> oh anyway. So any flying with oh. you? I'm fine. Flying? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> I I had some great flying. Had four flights in last weekend. Last weekend? Stop. Yeah. Don't even yeah. don't even oh, let him yeah. talk great. anymore. Yeah, that's right. He did. <laughs> it's the best flights I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Great. I landed. And people All were right. cheering. <laughs> Stop yourself. <clears throat> and do we see you're raining? It's raining, but um, if the weather's not, the weather's been looking pretty good, except tonight. Um, if it looks pretty good tomorrow, I might try to pack up and go try to fly. Nice. Good. Yeah. It's been looking right. better. Well, good luck. Be safe. Yeah. How about you? Are you flying? Uh, no. Well, we went down to Madison last weekend, and um, Eric helped out with our, our instructor in some kite training. I went shopping. And uh, they have no snow down there up until probably tomorrow. Um, and they're supposed to, all the snow is coming up from the south. So hopefully we don't get it. But um, they're talking five to seven inches of snow again. So, oh. <clears throat> and then all next week. But I think my son said it's supposed to be almost 50 degrees maybe on Saturday. So we're getting there. That'd so, be nice. Yeah. yeah. So, Tonight we've got Kevin can fly and he is actually trying to get home. He is in a vehicle, so he's going to be doing this on his phone. He looks like he's also eating. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so we'll bring him in with a mouthful of food. <laughs> That's how I roll. <laughs> oh, look at the Coca-Cola commercial guy. Sing us a song right now. <laughs> Hey man, 20 bucks is 20 bucks. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. So how the heck are you? What are you doing? Oh, we're uh, on our way home from Washington State. We went up to a little place called Castle Rock, which you might know from the movie Stand By Me. Um, oh. We uh, installed a fire suppression system for a small little restaurant that's opening up. And then uh, we're heading home. So we stopped to grab some snacks knowing that uh, traffic through Portland is going to be a nightmare. So we just figured we'd call a quick timeout and, you know, have some show, have some food, enjoy yeah. the night. You letting your taxi driver eat too, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's got his burrito. It's yeah, funny, in the, in, the, in the interlude, you, you had a series of photos, and one of those photos was a guy on a Volusion 2 with a blue, yellow, and white Hydron. That's Actually, Carlos sitting next to me. Oh, so. hey, Carlos. Oh, cool. <laughs> What's up, guys? <laughs> hey there. So just don't wear your burrito while you're driving, okay? <laughs> so how long will it take you to get home from from where you go, from where you are? Should be half an hour, but could be more. Oh, okay. So last week you had come into the show chat and you had said, and it says Kevin can fly. So everybody was saying hi to you. And you had said, or, or somebody said, or is it Kevin can throw? Kevin can toss. Kevin can toss. <laughs> <laughs> so what is all that about? Um, so in a nutshell, just being really, really stupid. Um, so it falls into that category of complacency where you do something so many times that it feels benign and normal. And then, you know, you, you start doing it lower and lower because it feels benign and normal. And then you decide to, you know, crank it to 11 and something bad happens, which turned out instead of doing a, a half rocket loop, half barrel roll, which was my intent, I wound up, 
doing an inverted Misty flip, fell through my lines, got riser twist, and I was, I don't know, 150, 200 feet when I looked at the ground and saw that there was no real good outs. And I just abandoned flying and became a guy hanging at the bottom of a parachute string. How was that landing? It looked... I'll, I'll try to pull it up here as you're talking. Um, oh, it, it sucked. <laughs> was was that like it in the intro? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, okay. it sucked. I'm, the, the biggest thing, I mean, I, I was going backwards. So um, the way I was tracking was with my back, you know, facing the way I was going. So I kind of didn't really get to see the ground. I just okay. got to see that it was coming up. I put my feet down and just tried to get my legs under me and I caught myself pretty much at the moment that my feet hit the ground and I just absorbed it. I didn't even really try to catch myself. I just did the best I could to belay the impact, if you will. Hmm. All right. I'm going to play it here. Oh, oh. oh. He threw his, uh-oh. And look how he's coming down fast, too. All right, let's watch, let's watch it one more time. I'll turn the volume off on it. So Kevin's the, top, the higher one here. Yeah, so right there when I threw my wing, as you see, it just sent me right into a sat. So I was twisted. And it just turned me right in. And so as soon as I could see the ground, so I was in a full twist right there. And that's when I could see that things were not good and that I was only about 200 feet up. And so right about here is when I was grabbing the handle. You'll see it come out if you go another couple of clicks. And right about the time the reserve comes out is right when the wing. So there's the reserve out. And you yeah. watch and as, as the reserve's trailing away, you watch the wing just flip all the way over. And that's it, it just put me into an auto rotation. I was basically went into a sat. Dang. So there's the sat entry. And the sat entry is simultaneous with the reserve opening. And so right there, I'm probably guessing 100, 150 feet from the ground. And then I didn't have any time to grab a hold of my lines or pull my wing in or anything. So you see, I do a little bit of down planing, which is one of the main reasons I come down so fast. Do you think uh, the last minute of it all kind of helps you almost like automatically go into a parachutal trust fall just to help out your body? Well, like I said, I, I right before I got to the ground, I did everything I could physically to try to shoot my legs down below the harness because I wanted my feet to impact the ground before my tailbone. I didn't want to break my back. Hmm. Oh. That was my main concern, flying backwards, going into the ground backwards. I didn't want to break my back. I wanted to grab with my feet first. But I had no directional control, so it wasn't like I could turn myself to face forward or anything like that. I was just along for the ride. Right. So I mean, did my you have any damage? Any any physical injuries? No, I, I got up and, I mean, like, quite honestly, I scared everyone around because I screamed at the top of my lungs to the point where I was coarse. I was just so excited that everything went the way it was. My adrenaline was so hyped up, I just, just let out a huge yell. And then... The next thing I yelled, I just as well as it just I, it came out without really thinking about it, but I just screamed out as loud as possible. I just said it worked. I'm like it worked. <laughs> how uh, I know you probably had a ton of adrenaline. How hard would you say the impact was? So I I would guesstimate it to say like jumping off of like a six foot fence, hmm. like a like a yard fence like that goes around a typical house. It'd be like taking your paramotor, putting it on your back, and just hopping off okay i mean it, it wasn't too bad i got like a little bit of a bruise on my backside but it wasn't like broken tailbone it wasn't hard to sit down nothing like that the main thing is i had a big giant bruise on the top of my thigh from where the swing arm came down and slammed into my leg when the motor came to the ground 
Was it really from your swing arm, though? Was it? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> so, prop or anything broke? No, it didn't break the prop. It didn't break anything. The only thing it did wow. was, it, obviously, I deployed my reserve. So, it took, I don't know, I'm going to say about a half a day of going around the area of Salton Sea before we found the people who had the proper rubber bands and stuff. And then we were able to lay out my reserve, repack it. And I, I mean, if you look at the pictures closely, you could see that the left side of the hoop took a little bit of a flat spot. So I just took my foot and just did the old monkey push and just kind of pushed it back to as circle as I could make it. And then put the paramotor back together, tighten the net and we packed the reserve. I flew the next morning. Wow. That's so and then you've got a Go buddy that also um crashed. Well yeah, but that was that was incident number three. So we, we haven't even really discussed incident number two. Oh. So <laughs> incident okay. number two, yeah, right? Like the weekend. Hey uh Kevin, can I interject really quick? You can. Um so with this that just happened and because you said hey you're screwing around there's just a dumb thing to do um have you thought about like because i followed you for a while um i remember like the crash you had where you had a like a line snap on an old wing on you on mm -hmm. takeoff, and how much that impacted you and really bothered you for a while do you ever think back on moments like that and in conjunction to what just happened and thinking about the future every time i go flying buddy every single time i'm in the air there's it's there's a, a definition of of, a, of aviation that people sometimes fail to understand which is you don't have to physically be hurt to actually take an injury and it's what's known as a fear injury and every single time i go fly i think about that glider with the lines breaking and me crashing Every time I go fly, I think about when I hit power lines because last year in February, I hit power lines. Um, these these things that you go through, if you don't learn from them, then, I mean, you are you probably have to be one of the stupidest people on the planet if you're involved in flying because inevitably that type of stupidity will get you hurt or killed. The, the, the place I find myself in is, like Carlos and I were discussing it this morning, it, it wasn't ever the gear that failed me, right? So, like, my wing didn't take a collapse or stop flying. My motor didn't fail. And the reserve, as you can see, very much worked. So every aspect of the gear worked as it was supposed to. It was my failure. When I hit the power lines, it was my failure. The only time that I had a failure that wasn't mine was when that line broke. And... My huge takeaway from that, which I live by and preach to anyone I can, is at a minimum, get your glider inspected. It's it's 150, 175 bucks to at least know where you live in life when you're in the air. Even if it's a new one, a used one, whatever, you know what I mean? You know the lifespan of your glider. That glider I was flying, I assumed was good. I assumed <laughs> it was good. It wasn't that old. It was only a three-year-old glider. But the material that the, the lines were made from were designed to be replaced per the manual every one year or 100 hours. Not inspected, but replaced. Ooh. And I didn't know that because, honestly, I was lazy and didn't read the manual. I just thought a wing is a wing, you know what I mean? And once I learned it, it was kind of the hard way. So, you know, it's, it's, it, this is, you know, a risk versus reward sport. And the only way to understand the risk is sometimes to learn things the hard way or learn from someone like me. So you don't have to be that person. What glider was it? James is asking. It was an APCO NRG 18 meter. Okay. The one that had the line break. Um, but what about your reserve? Um, how often do you, repack that and get that checked so i normally do my own repacks about every year to two years depending on conditions if my reserve gets wet we uh we have this really weird dynamic where we live where it can be beautiful and sunny at the coast and it can be beautiful and sunny at home 
But when you drive over the mountain pass to go to the coast, there's all kinds of motor takes off, all the road spraying gets all wet and junky. So when we do something like that, I come home, I actually take apart my whole harness and hang it up and wash it and use compressed air and clean it off. I, I really, it's like a pet peeve of mine to have like a gross paramotor. I really like it to look as brand new as possible at all times. Yeah. So, and then I went and I spent like a year of my life uh, after I had a career meltdown because I used to program cell phone towers for 16 years. And Ooh. after my career meltdown, I, I went just kind of into the world of aviation and didn't do anything but aviation for like a whole year straight. I went to SIV clinics. I went to repack clinics. I went to mountain first aid and rescue clinics. Uh, I mean, like all, all kinds of just like nut job stuff. I, I kind of went OCD on like everything I could figure out and learn when it came to flying. So, you know, st stuff like that is kind of what you, uh, what do you say? It's, it's the training that keeps you where you are. I mean, like when I was at salt and sea, um, if I would have been in my earlier days of flying, I would have tried to get above the twist. I would have tried to fix the wing and fly it out after SIV, after having a much better understanding of how all this stuff works. That was where it's like, I'm just throwing the reserve, man. I'm happy to throw the reserve. Right. And my reserve is an Independence Revo 22. So it has a 24-inch drogue chute on the outside of the container that actually pulls the whole reserve out. It's like a skydiving uh, drogue, so it pulls it. It's not just the static weight of the bag. And I do that because, like Carlos and I were discussing this morning, like when it came to riding dirt bikes, I always had to ride like an idiot. I had to hit the triples. I had to hit the big jumps. I couldn't just go ride around. I always had to be doing something extreme. When it comes to flying, it's kind of the way I fly. Like, I, I get it. I'm not definitely not the hardest flyer in the group. That's for sure. But I do go harder than a lot of people I know. So I'm in that middle ground. And being in that middle ground, I feel like having the best chance of survival is kind of spending a couple extra bucks and getting something like a fast open reserve, which, as the video shows, will work in 100 feet as long as you get it out. Just stupid things. <laughs> I really think they should make reserves where you go to toss it, and it's like one of those guns that just shoot out a flag that says "bang." That says "bang." Yep. But maybe, maybe a real one will come out after that, just to scare you. So this is one of those stories I tell people as a as a, a word of wisdom: don't do this. Right? Back when I started flying long, long ago, I had to send my reserve out for a repack because this was before I knew how to do it myself. And the, the weather was beautiful. Now, I, I come from a paragliding background, right? So I spent many years paragliding before I ever got a paramotor. And the conditions are not always optimal for paragliding. But when they are, it, you have to capitalize on it big time. So the conditions this day were absolutely perfect. And I wanted to go fly, but my reserve was out for a repack. So... I took a pillow off of the couch and put it into the container where the reserve goes and then wove the container shut around a pillow just so that way when I got to the hill, it didn't look like I didn't have a reserve hanging out of my back. <laughs> so I was flying around. I just kept thinking to myself, how fucked up would it be? Oh, excuse me. How messed up would it be when I pull the handle and the pillow is flying out and not a reserve? Luckily, I didn't have to pull the reserve that day, but yeah, that, that's always a funny story I tell people. What's he doing? So, I thought he was driving. He just came no, from the back. No, we're, we're stationary. It's okay. oh. He's not so, random right. question for you before you go on to a tangent. I think Sean Nasker or somebody made a comment to me that before stuff like this, before our paramotor nation, He's like, Kevin can fly, like, kind of started all this all of getting people to talk live and whatever. Is that true? Kind of, to a point. I mean, yes and no. I honestly will tell you that Robert Michaels was doing it way before we were. But um, there was a small group of us that started a show about the same time, give or take, as when uh, David Wolf was doing our Paramotor Nation and stuff. And we just 
kind of went our own different ways. I don't know. It was difficult. I've got three small kids, so to dedicate specifically every week a specific time is kind of tough. But, you know, you just make it work. I don't know if I'd say I was the first. I definitely wouldn't say I was the first. That's for sure. Yeah, I met you. Eric and I met you um, when we started watching the shows, and then we started coming on as um, in the after shows and meeting everybody, and that's kind of how we got into it and got to meet you. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy the shows. I enjoy interacting with people, especially new people. Um, one of my big things, you know, being an instructor is I like to ask people about their struggles because everybody seems to struggle in different ways. And as an instructor, understanding and knowing the struggles that people have, like, always helps me to be a better instructor. Right. Does your wife fly? No, my wife does not fly. <laughs> no, my, my wife is, is, is a very wonderful woman, but she will hurt herself just getting dressed, so she doesn't need to be anywhere near aviation. <laughs> well, there's different kinds of people, yes. Yeah. Don't drink and dress, people. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> So is that one of, uh, so did you say there was one more incident at Salton Sea of yours? Uh, yeah. So when, uh, when we got all our stuff together the second day, this was after the reserve toss, we went, we were camped, I don't know, give or take a mile down the beach from where everyone else was camped out at. And when we, uh, flew over to the main area where everyone at Salton Sea was hanging out. The weather was very nice. It was very calm. We checked the conditions before taking off, and everything was showing a very consistent six to eight miles an hour off of the lake. And so we flew over to the other camp, and we were hanging out there. We decided we wanted to make dinner before it got dark and be adults because making dinner in the dark is always a pain in the neck. So when we took off to fly back, one of my friends had blown a launch because the air had become stagnant and shifty, which blocked a third guy from being able to launch. And then I was able to get up into the air. About 30 seconds after getting into the air, the wind shifted 180 degrees and started blowing off of the desert instead of blowing off of the lake. And then it started gusting 40, 45 miles an hour with a steady state of about 30. And I was full trimmed out, still starting to fly backwards on a 20-meter snake. So I had to ditch into the sand and then get picked up, which was really a very ugly landing. But it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt the paramotor. It just was not anything called pretty. And... And there was a couple people. I was I was not the only one. I put up a post so people would know because everyone watched me leave and then instantly. So I split it, but it was that was number two. It was just crazy. I mean, I was actually contemplating that having enough fuel to fly to the other side of the lake. Because I wasn't going to maintain the beach. Yeah, the first time I flew there, I got a big lecture about catatonic winds from my instructor to, because I was warned that could potentially happen. So uh, it and it shifted in a heartbeat. It was crazy how much it, how fast it shifted. Really, it was that oh, fast, yeah. just like instant. It was instant. It was steady state six off the lake, and then within like a. I'd say less than 10 seconds. It went from steady six to blowing 40, the opposite direction. Do you think that was predictable at all or? Not by the models we looked at because we checked the weather before because we even were like, hey, the day was forecasted to be blown out. We weren't even supposed to be able to fly. And then when we checked the models, the models were showing six to eight. The highest it was showing was gusts of 10. And I'm like, well, we all fly in that like all the time. But it wasn't showing anything about turning 30 gusts and 45. Wow. 
Is that there were signs. There were definitely signs. We could have read the signs better, but the forecast that, didn't say so. That's not all flat land out there, though, either, is it? No. So just to the west is a whole bunch of mountains and hills, and then to the east is a bunch of hills. So salt was in a big valley. Okay. Hmm. Um, one one question was, have you flown since? I guess I'll just, I think you did say you flew the next day after you tossed your reserve, but have you flown since you've been back home then? I'm sorry, you'll have to ask me that one more time. I didn't get all of it. Have you flown since Salton Sea? Yeah. Okay. And then the other question is, are you in a Tesla? Am I in a Tesla? No, I'm not in a Tesla. <laughs> I'm in a ProMaster, just like all the other really badass paramotor pilots. Okay. All right. You guys got any questions for Kevin? I got a big one, but it it's going to take a long answer, so I'll wait until after the spinny wheel. Well, I can make short answers. <laughs> no, this was long for sure, but it's not weird or gross, so you're good. Then it's not a steep question. Do you go yeah. to other fly-ins besides uh, Salton? Uh, yes and no. So I don't travel to the East Coast or the central parts of the country just due to the fact that I got kids and a wife and stuff, but... We have a handful of fly-ins on the West Coast that I go to. I try to make it every year to the Blackhawk Ranch fly-in. Uh, we've got the, the Sand Lake fly-in, which is what we host here in Oregon on the coast. And then Moses Lake fly-in, which is on the eastern side of Washington State. Um, uh, over to Utah, there's a couple of fly-ins that they hold in Utah we go to. And then there's the paragliding fly-ins, which are a whole other ball of wax to talk about. Bill H. Winston, um, you've been to Kyle O's. <laughs> Probably not. Kyle O's so, been to him. So I, I really want to make it a point to go to the, what does Kyle call it? The, the para party for Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, my parents moved to Texas and they live, give or take, about three miles, or three miles, excuse me, three hours away from Kyle. So it's within, what's what I call within striking distance. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So I, I'd really like to go out. I talked to Kyle about it. He told me he's got all kinds of gear and wings. Just show up, and I'd have a good time. So hopefully this year, maybe next year, we'll have to wait and see what plays out. But I definitely want to make it to Kyle's para party. How often do you get a free flight anymore? A free flight paragliding? Yeah, how often do you get a free flight anymore? I go free flying any day it'll give me. Oh, really? So, yeah, I mean, the, we've... We've got a paragliding hill that's literally right behind our house. Like, either his wife will come pick us up, or, or we'll figure he's got a uh, electric unicycle. So sometimes we'll just stash his unicycle in the bushes and then fly to launch, and then he rides the unicycle back up, gets the car, and then comes and grabs us. I mean, we we've got flying. Yeah, seven minutes from his doorstep, and it's like fifteen from mine. And then two hours to the coast. Four hours out to Pine Mountain, two and a half hours to Cliffside. I mean, we've, the, the thing about living in Oregon is we've got, like, all of it. We've got miles and miles of open valley to paramotor in. We've got the coast to paramotor. And then we've got mountains all around us to paraglide. So as far as, like, air sports, it's a wonderful place for air sports. The only downside is we have, like, four to five months of just garbage weather. That sounds pretty amazing. So I met a lady that wants me to move out there. So I need you to find me a job so I can enjoy that. Well, you don't have to look hard. There's a sign in every window that says we're hiring. It's going to work for you. I'm going to be your personal maid. I'm going to dress the part. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me the eyebrow. Is it time for spinning wheel? I speculate on your taco making skills. Uh, I am a fantastic cook. I'll tell you that right now. Well, being a fantastic cook and making fantastic tacos are two different things. <laughs> Is it really, though? Is it really? Yes. Yeah. You'll have to intern with my Mexican friend and, and learn the, the ways of the science of Mexican food. Okay. Well, I'm humble. I'll, I'll start from the beginning and work my way up. I'll do that. 
So I'm going to have you answer this last question and then we'll do the spinny wheel. So anybody in the chat, if you want to, or anybody watching, join in by logging into YouTube, come into our show and say something in the chat quick so you get your name on the spinny wheel. But Kevin, Scuba wants to know, um, when you threw your reserve, did it give you a good jerk when it deployed? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, did it jerk me. So if you guys are probably... I need to get one of those reserves. My Cena chills out right here on the front of my helmet, right? And it's got two pieces of 3M double-stick tape, one on each side, and then the little clamp piece. So the thing's double-stick taped and has the clamp holding it to the helmet. That thing dislodged and hammered me in the cheek hard enough that it actually gave me like a welt that lasted for a day and a half. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I got to it pretty friggin' hard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, we have a donation from Chris Gwynn, and I don't think he's in the chat yet. He wasn't sure if he was going to be back, but he reached out to me today, and he said that he's got a large shirt, an EPROP shirt, that also has um, EPROP sticker, a pen, and a keychain and he will mail that out to the winner and again this is a large shirt so um if if you can't use it and you want to throw it back in to let somebody else try on the spinny wheel um or if you want to take it that's fine um whoever wins just um let me know um your address on facebook messenger so spinny wheel man hit it all righty, the spin of this wheel is brought to you by Deweese's Alexa. Play me some <laughs> rock and roll. Oh, God, you woke her up. So, this is basic music that's Alexa. Alexa, stop. <laughs> well, you can tell you use the wheel with this personal stash of baby oil. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to spit on it. All right, who we got coming? Like Chuck Dodge. Crazy. Sounds like a guy who's going to throw something at you and then book it. Book it. Well, he was now on his bike. Not sure about him. It's Portland hey. Dodge, the perfect name to put on a truck. It's about three minutes. You got Chuck Dodge. Chuck. Chuck lives in Minnesota, and I believe he is a powered parachute flyer. I chat with occasionally so he's up in the cold snowy north um, does eric know about this does eric oh i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> anyway large shirt um so chuck if you want that if you're still in the chat um just oh, excuse bless me you. let me know and uh we'll get your address later Okay, spinny wheel off. Off? Okay. We usually do it more than once. You cheaping out on me? I'm cheaping out. All right, so a question <laughs> for you, Kevin. I never heard your backstory before. Like, how did you get into free flight and paramotoring? Uh, half go time. Half go time. <laughs> no, so, it's, fun. it's actually really funny because when I grew up, I grew up down in, in Hemet in Southern California. And my dad was a pilot. My grandpa was a pilot. Um, when I was like five or six years old, they brought home this like 1950s Piper Tripacer on a trailer that was nothing more than pieces of metal. It wasn't anything you'd call an airplane at all. And over like four or five years, whatever it was, they built this airplane to literal retro perfection. And I got to fly that thing until I was in high school. And then my grandparents passed away one after the other. And my parents weren't financially capable of maintaining airplanes by themselves because they were partnered in them. And so we had Saboba flying right behind the house. So I wanted to get all into paragliding and stuff. So I went over there and then wound up moving to Oregon. So after many years of living in Oregon and wanting to go fly, I was flying uh our FPV drones around at the park and remote control airplanes and stuff and just daydreaming of flying. And then all of a sudden, this guy shows up at the park with his drones. 
And so we're flying drones around and we're hanging out, smoking weed, flying drones, having a good old time. And I mentioned, I really want to start paramotoring. And this guy's like, oh, I want to start paramotoring. No, because you already were paragliding. And you were like, yeah, we're paramotoring sounds sick. And so I said, well, I definitely want to get involved in that shit. And he looks at me and says, I have this uh, trash bag of a wing that I'll sell you for an exorbitantly cheap price. And you don't tell anyone. Yeah, he's like, he's like, you can't let anyone know that I gave this to you. <laughs> he's like, if you die, it's not my fault, right? So I went and recertified with an instructor up here in Oregon and then started flying. And I want to say it was like my second time out. I was having a real struggle bus of a day. And one of the other guys came over and said, hey, he's like, you want to fly my wing? He's like, you could try mine out. And he had an ozone, I think it was a rush. And I flew that, grabbed a bunch of thermals, climbed up. I had like a two and a half hour flight. And when I landed, they walked up and they were like, well, what did you think about that? And I was like, I think of buying a new wing. Like, <laughs> needs some better gear. This is garbage. So I found a, a Skywalk Tequila 5, which is a B-wing. It's a nice mid, mid-range B-wing. And then I flew the crap out of that for, I don't know, what, two or three years. And then when I sold my house, I had equity and convinced my wife that the leaving at 4 a.m. and getting home at 2 a.m. paragliding days could be cut way down to just like an hour or two in the morning if I had a motor. And so she conceded, she conceded that that was a good idea. So I bought a paramotor, met up with a friend of ours that paramotored he now runs a school but at the time it was just he flew paramotors he gave me the basic rundown of lean back you know blah 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 don't sit down etc launched my first launch flew my first flight um and then from there started paramotoring and paragliding it was basically at that same time frame is when i had that career meltdown i spoke of and then just started going everywhere. So I took my paraglider and my motor and just started going flying the desert, flying the coast, flying uh, Northern California, flying Utah, flying Washington, just everything that was within reach. I would go fly every single day. It didn't matter if it was Monday or Friday or Sunday, flying was on, I'd go fly. And then my wife kind of said, look, you know, we need you to come home. (laughs) And uh, what year did you start free flying your free flight before paramotoring? Uh, well, originally that was 2002 or three. And then I picked it back up again in like, was it 2015, 14, something like that? Wow. And then, like I said, I mean, within that, that year of sabbatical that I took, I put well over 400 hours in the air paragliding. And then since then, I've, I've thousands of hours on the motor. So you're not the first person I've like listened to, uh, especially in the paragliding world, where they talked about career meltdowns while they're like flying and doing stuff. Do you want to elaborate? I know it's not flying related, but I'm always curious just to learn about people. Or if you don't want to talk about that, that's cool no, too. No, it's all good. It's part of my history. You know, it is what it is. So. When I was a young man, my, my oldest cousin, who's 14 years older than me, uh, was working for AT&T. And he called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, what does uh, 25 bucks an hour sound like to you? And I said, that sounds like $14 an hour more than I make now. Where do I go? And so he said, I'm up in Seattle. Come up and see me. We'll put you to work. And so that job started out as just basic, just labor work pulling big cables and getting everything laid into place. And then you use what they call a uh, nine cord, but it's wax string and you tie all the cables down to this racking system. So I did that for four or five years to the point where I started knowing all of the installation process and made myself valuable. Cause one of my big things in life was never to look outwards, but always look upwards Upwards mobility was always where you want to go. You never want to just go sideways. So I just started educating myself. How do I do it? How do I do it? How do hey, I do look it? at you, Graham. Where I became my, a foreman of one of our crews. So 
the way I got paid was the like maybe the shadiest thing I've ever heard of in my life. So they paid us minimum wage on paper, but then paid us $40 an hour per diem. So you got paid $47 an hour or whatever it was, but 40 of it was per diem. So, so you can afford to have me as made in a taco cook. You can't, yeah, right? No. <laughs> I used to. I don't anymore. I'm, a, I'm now I'm a poor instructor. But, so when I went to go buy a house, after my wife and I got married, I went to go buy a house, and the underwriter was like, hey, you make $7 an hour. He's like, you can't buy a house with $7 an hour. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, look at that $40 an hour per diem, right? It's like, I don't make seven an hour. I make $47 an hour. And the underwriter couldn't underwrite the loan based on my per diem. They had to underwrite it based on my W-2 wage. So that forced me to start changing my career and looking elsewhere. So I started putting out resumes, and then I got hired with Samsung programming cell phone towers. So then I spent roughly 10 years doing cell phone tower programming. So I drive around 100,000 miles a year from tower to tower to tower to tower, and it was all night work, and I would program cell phone towers, upload them, fix cards, whatever whatever was required. I'd just make the, make the stuff work. So obviously, with the same mentality of upward mobility, I took myself to a manager's position. And so I was managing 35 guys over seven states, I was at a salary position working nights and implementing equipment. So I was basically doing three jobs in, for one guy. I got to a point where I had worked for three years straight with no sick days, no days off, just work every friggin' day. And I was burnt. I was like starting to get short with people. I was not happy with life. And so I, I decided I was going to put in for my PTO. So since I hadn't taken any time, I put in for all three weeks of PTO because I had done three years, so three weeks, and they approved it. I was like, yes, I get a whole month off. This is going to be fantastic. When I came back from that month, they didn't pay my salary because I got paid once a month at the beginning of the month because I was salary deployed. They didn't pay my salary. And then when I sent the company email and said, hey, I didn't get paid salary. What's going on with this? They told me, well, you took a month off. And so I responded with, well, here's the email. Here's the approval. The month off I took was PTO. It was approved PTO. And their response was, well, yeah, that's personal time. So even though they approved it as PTO, they told me it was personal time. And then they immediately wanted me to go out of state. And I kind of told them, if you want me to go to work, you have to pay me. And if you want me to go out of state, you have to pay me. I'm not working for anyone for free. And my 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 email says PTO is approved. So either you pay me or I don't go to work. Long story short, the CEO of the company was emailing me to try to get me to facilitate the job because I was the only person in the entirety of the United States that had gone to Korea had become a subject matter expert on the equipment. And so now they've got me in the wind. So he's emailing me, wanting me to go back to work. I told him they could go fly a kite. That's the only way that I would go to work. Wait, to can you tell me what you actually said, though? <laughs> this is an old show. I told them that they could go fly a kite. Oh, okay. I told the CEO of Samsung Global that he could fly a kite. Wow. And that was kind of my black ball for the rest of the industry. <laughs> but I was I was kind of done with it at that point because I was never home. I was working 90 plus hours a week. My wife was upset. She's telling me, you know, I've got a paycheck, but I don't have a husband. And it was it was unhealthy. So it kind of I mean, in some ways, it worked out for the better to, to leave that. I, I do kind of miss 120 grand a year salary. I mean, that was nice, but I don't miss the stress. I don't miss the driving. I don't miss the not being home. Man, 120 grand a year is sure a lot more than 20 bucks. I'll tell you that. What do you uh, What do you do now outside of teaching? Uh, so Carlos has fire safety business. So I come help him with his larger installs when he needs a second set of hands. And when I'm not helping him, my family has a real estate business where they 
buy, flip, and sell real estate. And so I'm either doing construction with them or I don't know. I just find things to do. How many uh, students do you like generally teach in a year? Four or five. Four or five? Maybe. So I don't like this is one of those things like I, I don't ever point out any one person or any one school, but just the basic philosophy. I hate 10 day schools. I absolutely hate 10 day schools. Not everybody can learn how to do this in 10 days. And I can tell you, it's taken me years to master the ability to kite in winds and things and know the stuff that I know that you're never going to teach someone in 10 days. So I don't invite people here from far off. I don't try to bring people from across the country. I don't even um, advertise my services. When the people that live in the Portland or South Washington area want to learn to fly, the local crowd, the local group knows that myself and one other guy is the instructor to go and see more or less. And so I get my business word of mouth and then I work with people here when they have weekends or when they have a week, we get together, we party as much as we can. Um, if they have, you know, two weeks to take off, we go to the coast, we do everything we could do in two weeks. But the general thing is always return, always ask questions, always be a part of the school. Because once you've paid for training, it's it's lifelong because you'll always be in a progression of learning. When Kylo came to visit me, it was funny because we were doing this live stream and I said something to the effect of Kylo's an instructor, man. He ain't no student. And his response was humbling to me to a point where it like really hit me in a, in a soft spot. He said, I'm always a student, Kev, forever a student. And the logic behind that was like, wow, like you're arrogant to think you're not a fucking student. Excuse me. Sorry. You're arrogant to think you're not a student. Everyone is always a student. We're always learning. We're always, always learning. getting better. No one ever has it all. No one knows it all except for maybe Dell. If you just ask him, he'll let you know. But other than that, everyone's always learning. And as long it's as we're true. Learning, we're always like a student. I've had so many adventures and such a good time. I feel like an absolute beginner every time I go out. I'm just like, I don't know. I got to keep my A game. I got to make everything right. Like, I, no matter what I do, I always feel like I'm bottom of the barrel. But I know a lot of people that they really agree with you. And I really appreciate, like, what I've been able to get. Because, like, my main guy, he became, like, my best friend. And so when I go do something new, if it's something I'm not familiar with or dangerous, like I get sit down and lectured, you know, I'm, I'm told, Hey, you got to walk me through your procedures. You're going to be flying over water, all this other stuff. So that, that continual mentorship and, and, uh, community and, and bonding stuff like that, I think is, is massive for anyone to keep doing this really. To, to, to touch on that topic, it's like that's like a, a really delicate subject for me, right? Because when it comes to paragliding, my mentor was a no-nonsense kind of dude. Like he would come up, grab you, yell in your face, dude, like run you off launch kind of guy. And when it comes to paramotoring, it's like part of me feels like I need to be that guy. And then there's a large part of me who says – I'm just a nice guy and I'm not that guy. Right. And so it's really tough for me to go and correct my friends or correct people in like a, a, a critical way. Like I always try to like instruct people in like a, a, a happy, like you're doing great, but you can always do it better kind of thing. Instead of being like, yo, you are friggin' stupid, man. Like I've, I've just I've been around some friends and the way they fly is great. They're great pilots, but some of the things they do is scary. And there's there's such good pilots that it it's like almost not your place to go tell them that they're doing scary stuff, even though it is exactly your place to tell them that they're doing scary stuff. Like that's that's the hard part, you know. It's like even when you see like just some of your closest friends or some of the people that you don't want to have that conversation with but they're the ones that you should have that conversation with 
Right, yeah. because how are you going to feel if something does happen to them? Or there, are, there. I've known like people, like instructors and well-respected, good pilots, when they crash, who ends up getting extremely angry and pissed off? All the other experts, because they were supposedly that good, and these are people we care about, and all their friends are going to get pissed off because they made that decision. Because now look yeah. at what happened to you. Well, it's like, I know that Chris is in the chat. I saw his comment or question pop up a minute ago. Um, when when he hit the dirt at Salton Sea, I was there. I was like 100 feet from him, whatever it was. And my heart broke. Like, watching one of my best friends hit the ground broke my friggin' heart to pieces. When, when I threw my reserve, like, that was my experience, right? And and I went through it, but to be a bystander and watch one of your best friends have that kind of experience, I mean, that to me was extremely difficult to deal with, far, far more difficult to deal with than my reserve toss. Like, my reserve toss was my stupidity. When Chris hit the dirt, that was just gut-wrenching because I've seen other people hit the ground like that, and they didn't come home. And... So to, to witness something like that is just, I mean, that's where, like, when you want to talk about humbling or sobering, for me, like, that was a sobering event. And it's crazy because talking to him, I mean, he is one of my good friends. He's stoked to get going again. We, I mean, he recognizes the mistake, but, I mean, his tenacity to fly again, it impresses me, you know? Oh, yeah, that reminds me. I need to donate to his deal. I was going to give him 20 bucks. No, it's not going to matter, but... Hey, 20 bucks is 20 bucks, man. 20 bucks is 20 bucks. Can you um, do a briefly what, what happened with his flight? So, Chris was ripping around really very low, and there was mixed reports that people put out. It was very frustrating that they were saying he was doing low wingovers. He was not doing low wing overs i want to make that clear he was slalom flying so he was on and off bar and making really high energy turns but he wasn't doing wing overs as he came through one of the high energy turns whether it was a thermal or a rotor whatever whatever it was i'm not exactly sure but it caused his wingtip to flutter and collapse briefly for a millisecond and so his wing just changed angle by about five degrees, maybe. So instead of flying parallel to the ground, it then turned towards the ground. Mm. The minute it opened, it corrected, but it just, he was maybe, I don't know, two feet or five feet from being able to make the swing. And so he just basically swung through the bottom of the turn into the ground. Ouch. Mm. But it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, a downward crash. It was more of a glancing crash. He, he It was like uh, hard to describe, but imagine just doing like a super hard, like cranking turn at ground level. And then it just too little, little not high enough to make it. But it, it, it wasn't his flying. It was definitely the fact that he took a very small tip collapse and it was just a couple degrees. Like it wasn't like it just totally canned him. It wasn't like those videos you watch where the slalom guys lose the whole wing behind them. It was just the tip for a brief second. Right. And how is he doing now? He had a broken femur, if I remember you saying. Yeah. He's in the chat, so he could probably post a comment and answer yeah. better than I can. But the best I understand it was he broke his femur. Uh, I think it was his L6 in his back and then had some contusions in his head. Oh, I'll hang in there, Chris. Well, to be fair, he always had contusions in his head. Well, that, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. That, 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 that goes with the territory. Oh, and Chris said, good example of you describing everything. Oh, I still remember, like, I, I was watching your feed on that, and you're like, well, Chris did always say that he wanted to fly twice today, and he's like getting airlifted, and like it's it's kind of crazy how our humor can get in the worst situations. 
were, we were, we were discussing those vertical takeoff techniques, but we weren't expecting it to be that kind of vertical takeoff. That's not the helicopter <laughs> I asked him for. Wait. Okay, when I I'll said tandem up. helis, when I said tandem helis, I didn't mean the whirly gig. <laughs> oh. I was talking about bedroom dancing, but whatever. All right. Any other questions in the chat at all? Um, otherwise, um, Kevin, if you want to stick around for a little bit, um, we can close down and see if anybody wants to come in and say hi to you um, off off the air. As long as you're still traveling. Are we not doing another spinny wheel? Are we really being that cheap tonight? What do you got, Steve? I got nothing. Well, I got 20 bucks. I can mail somebody 20 bucks, but I'm probably going to be too lazy and too cheap to mail it to them. Then I got to go buy a stamp and then I got to lick it. And I don't have envelopes. Chris said he basically fused his lower back and had a broken femur. With a, with a spark plug, a Sky Sports sticker, and a nice little Laffy Taffy that I'll mail to somebody if you spin the wheel again. All right, let's do it. They'll have to just PM me the lift parameters and you give a sticker too. Lift parameter will give a sticker? Ooh, we're gonna what spin twice. It's a roulette wheel tonight. I once gotten an argument with a guy at a roulette wheel over what he considered an odd number. <laughs> yeah. That was a joke. Like seventeen. All right. Is it going to be Karen? Karen up. Come on, Karen. Karen's a machine. Ooh, John Wayne. John Wayne. He always wins. He's so lucky. What's he going to do, Joan? Tie up a pony? <laughs> I really need to change the sound of that. Congratulations, John Wayne. John Wayne, get a hold of it. Kevin could fly. And we'll do one yeah, more with lift paramotor. Send me a PM on Messenger, John Wayne, and I'll send that to you. Mm. I just burnt my tongue. It's extra greasy tonight. You guys are so quiet. And Spin this wheel is brought to you by Backcountry PPG with Trevor Steele. Sends me a ton of money. Under the table, say that. You know that um, Jade's going to fire you. I just muted him. Anyway, Kevin, <laughs> Eric said that um, you're the one of the most knowledgeable guys that he's listened to. Wish you still had a show. Oh, thanks, Eric. That means a lot. All right. So who won this one? James. James. James, reach out to Lyft. Her uh, lift paramotor. Put uh, where you want him to message you at. All right, we'll do it one more time for a "Just Wanna Fly" sticker. Who's the sponsor, Deweese? Alexa, play me some. Uh, oh, uh, Hollow Notes. Leave the station you might like. Thanks. On Amazon Music. Oh, man, this is where you gotta say, Alexa, Alexa play Alexa, stop. Man, I keep trying to rig this for Linda Anderson. It's not working. I had, I had Queen on there. That was kind of a good song. Yeah. You know, it's funny when I fly, I put on weird stuff like that because I'll use like YouTube to listen to music through my Bluetooth, and I'll just like put on like the the Muppets, and I'll just like jam out the phenomena while I'm just foot dragging. It's kind of funny. <laughs> oh, it's Chris Altmaier. I should have offered to mail 20 bucks. I'm going to give him 20 bucks anyways. Now he's going to get 20 bucks and a sticker. Sorry, Chris. I may be loaded, but I ain't rich. I was going to say he could put it on his scalp, but never mind. All right. We got a question in the chat. Trike Channel is saying, how do you feel about doing risky maneuvers at other people's flying sites? <coughs> 
So, uh, risky maneuvers at other people's flying sites. I think that's kind of a loaded question to a point. So, I don't necessarily believe that there is such thing as a risky maneuver. I think everything we do is risky. What I think is it's how you execute the maneuvers for the crowd you're around. So, if you're around non-flying people, doing anything other than flat-level flying is going to be viewed as risky maneuvers. But if you're around flying people, doing barrel rolls may not be considered risky maneuvers. So I think it really kind of plays back to your audience and then the way you execute the flying. So if you make yourself look risky and dangerous and you're perceived as risky and dangerous, then, you know, that's where you may not be invited back to fly at someone's LZ. If you execute your maneuvers with precision and you look like you're in control, then maybe you have an argument to say, this is how I fly. Chris is still trying to bring this up. Ask that driver why he hasn't flown yet. Chris wants to know why you're not flying. But <laughs> <laughs> we need to get Carlos's frame fixed up. He's, he, we haven't uh, got his frame fixed since the last incident. Yeah. He, he injured his knee then this summer on a, a, a poorly timed launch, which it's not like I could fault him because I had the same poorly timed launch. And uh, he wound up doing some damage to his knee. So it took some time, some physical therapy. So now that he's physically capable of running, carrying the machine and stuff like that, we just need to get his machine flyable again. All right. Well, thank you guys. And everybody, uh, send your addresses. You can send them to me if you want. He's going to fly at Sand Lake, he said. He's on, he's on the mend. He's mending. And if you're up in the Washington State area again, it will be there in about three weeks. Uh, last week of month. We're driving out for just the week. we got to haul some stuff back. And if you're also in that area, you need to find me a job. I need a job. So I'm going to move there. I thought you were moving to Bama. I thought you were going to the Bama shore. No, we're going to both go up there. That's where we want to be. You're, you're, you're heading to the West Coast because it's the best coast? <laughs> you're going to have to deal with me, Kevin. I, I'm I loaded think, with I mean, 20s. And I can hand you 20s all day. You might have that backwards. I, I mean, I'm kind of a handful. <laughs> That's why I got tons of 20s. I got 20s to keep you satiated. Like, Kevin's getting mad at me. Here you go, That's Kevin. Right. We'll take those 20s. We'll go to the Indian Casino, and we'll throw craps, and we'll make those 20s turn into 100s. Whatever you need, buddy. Yeah. There you go. Skyler just told you, Steve, that 10 camping is the thing here until you find a job. <laughs> oh man, it's perfect funny. for him. What's I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna just do this real fast because Skyler's in the chat. Love your cup. <laughs> Chris said that he'll hire you, Steve. Oh, nice. I work for Chris. I work for him so hard. Anyway, so hard. next week we have uh, Sarah Pustovit. Pustovit um, as a guest, and she she's puts a truck flyer from Washington. Oh, is she? Yeah. Okay. Oh cool. no! Oh no! <laughs> Y'all know her? Oh no! Yeah, yeah, we know. You're gonna have some fun stories on next week's show. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> and just do me a favor, every single person, whether you're in the chat or on the panel, tell her please to wear a helmet. Oh, she doesn't wear a helmet. She does. No, she's, a, she's a, a trike flyer who likes earmuffs, and she's had more than one incident. She needs yeah. to wear a helmet. Yeah, she does need to wear a helmet. She doesn't okay. wear a helmet. We encourage her as best you guys can. She needs to wear a helmet. I don't know why she doesn't wear a helmet. We'll find out next week, and we'll get her talked oh, into yeah, it. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let. I'll let her answer that for you. Okay. <laughs> All right, Kevin, if you want to stick around, Carlos, stick around for a little bit. We're going to see. Yeah, we'll be here. All right. If we don't see you on there, Steve, in there. Good night, everybody. Night. Fly safe. Baby, go fly, 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 fly.
kiss you till your head is in the stars So will you show me how you make your moves And how you dance your body to the groove Baby girl, you know it's now No, no, I can hide Baby, girl, with 